gospel preachers. And one of the blessings in my life of being a preacher is having preachers with whom I am close. Every preacher, I think, needs to have men like him who are close enough that he can be very open and have conversations that are very confidential sometimes, some things that are worried about, some things that I want to talk about, some things that are too sensitive to discuss with other people. And Don Blackwell is such a friend to me. And I have, uh, as he said, I've enjoyed his friendship for decades now, and I'm just so thankful for him inviting me to get to come. And it's wonderful to see you here. We have a large number of people here, and we have a large number of people who are watching via live stream and, and et cetera. And I cannot think of a, a topic that would be of more general interest than the one that this lectureship is about and mine tonight. Some of you are, are getting older, and you know that it won't be very long until you'll be cut loose from time to a place where a day is as a thousand years, a thousand years as a day. And we long for heaven. We anticipate heaven. It is the reward and the ultimate reality for Christians. I've, uh, I've looked at heaven. You, you believe me? Why we look not at the things which are seen, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16, 17. Why we look not at the, uh, this light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Why we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. The things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are, are eternal. I love to think about heaven. It is our great reality. Now, what I want to do for our time tonight is to give you ten, nine or ten reasons why I love to think about heaven. And I, I think that, I think and I hope that this will resonate with you. The first thing is this. I, I'm looking forward to heaven because in the rest of heaven, the reward of heaven, because I'm going to get to be with the people I love. The Bible teaches this, and I know that you've had a session about this already, so I'm not going to spend much time. But we're going to sit down together with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. The implication of that, of course, has to be that we're going to be able to recognize one another in heaven. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I, I like to think about the streets of gold and gates of pearl. But you know, that's not as great a motivator to me as this one. I mean, I suppose if I lived in poverty and I, I, I needed to dream, I wanted to dream of a time when I would not be in want the streets of gold would mean more to my thought processes. I'm not diminishing from the value of those. It's just that I, when I think about myself, what is most important to me is to think about those relationships. There's some people that I really, really want to see again. In 2 Thessalonians 4 and 16, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. We're going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then he ends with these words. What I've just said, he says, I want you to think about that, and are you ready for this? Comfort one another with these words. What difference would it be? I, I, I'm telling you that when I go to glory, I'm going to be with people 
that I, that I really long to see. My younger sister passed away a few years ago, but a number of years before that, she had her first child, and the child was lost in childbirth, about the seventh month. And her name was Laura. And Laura and Jeff, her husband, and our, our close family, we, after everybody else had left the grave, we were standing around, and Laura said, uh, Jeff said to Laura, you know, Laura, we'll be with him again. And Laura said, but I want to go now. Now, I love the streets of gold, but I'm going to tell you right now, what really makes me dream of heaven are these people I'm going to be reconciled with. I want to be with them again. And the, the older I get, the more of those people there are. Here's the second one. I'll still be me. I know, I know this may sound rather obvious to you, but I'm still going to be me. I won't be an angel. I'm looking forward to meeting the angels. Do you ever want to meet an angel? Matthew chapter 25 says, when the Lord returns again, why, he's going to come with all of his holy angels. Some of the angels weren't holy, but he's going to come with all of his holy angels. That is to say that heaven is going to be emptied of his population. All the holy angels will be there. I'm looking forward to that. But I'm not going to be turned into an angel. And I'm still going to be me. Now, just think about this with me. The Bible says that my body and my spirit are two different things. Ecclesiastes 12 says, the dust shall return to the earth as it was, the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. So I'm a, I'm a dual creature. I have a, a body, a physical body, and I have a soul. Now, it's my opinion that, that your soul and your mind are, at least for walking down the street terms, are the same thing. If you want to be aware of your soul, consider your mind. Right now, you're thinking along with me. I really hope you are. And we're talking about these things, and your mind is working right now. Your mind is the essence of you. It is who you are. Your mind inhabits, your soul inhabits this physical body for only a short period of time, and then it, your, your body, your soul's going to take its leave. James 2 and 26, right? But then also we know that what's going to happen is that God's going to reconcile the body with the soul. Now, why do you suppose he's going to do that? That's always been sort of a conundrum to me, sort of a puzzle to me. Why? would it be the case that he'd want to pull the two back together again? 1 Corinthians 15, 51 says, we won't all sleep, we'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump. And if you want more about that, Matthew 5 and 28, marvel not at this. The hour is coming in which all that are in their graves will hear his voice and come forth. They that have done good, the resurrection of life. They that have done evil, the resurrection of damnation. So why is he going to do that? Why bother with this old physical body, and then in, you, in some cases, of course, the physical body has been just reduced to nothing, maybe burned in a fire, maybe dissolved at sea. Lots of, most of them be just returned to the dust. Why go to the trouble? Why go to the trouble to, to put it all back together and put a soul in it and then change it so that it will, 1 Corinthians 15 says this corruptible is going to put on incorruption, this mortal body put on in, immortality. Why go to the, the bother for it? I believe the answer is this. He wants me to know that I'm going to be me. I'm still going to be me. I cannot think of another reason why he'd need to bother with this old body. Leave it in the grave. Let it burn with the rest of the world. But he's not. 
He's going to reconcile it with my soul. And then we go to judgment. You'll have to change it where, the, where I can be fit for what I'm about to face, but the point is I'm still going to be me. Three, when we go to heaven, we're not going to get any older. We're not going to age. Now, for those of you who are teenagers tonight, this may mean very little to you. But for those of you whose hair has turned white, I expect it means a great deal. I've heard of a land on the faraway strand. It's the beautiful home of the soul. And the chorus goes, never grow old where we will never grow old. Is that appealing to you? It is to me. In 2 Corinthians 4 and 16, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perishes, yet our inward man, see that's your soul, of course, is renewed day by day. The soul doesn't grow old. The body grows old. And so, 1 Corinthians 15, 42, so is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor. Oh, I've been around that quite a bit, haven't you? The body, the physical body, sometimes is so consumed by disease. Haven't you been around people who said in their last few days, I just don't want anybody coming by. I don't want to see anybody because I don't want them to see me like this. That's the meaning of this word. It is sown, that is to say that the body dies and it's buried and is sown in dishonor. But are you ready for this? It's raised in honor. It's raised in glory. You're never going to age. This corruptible body will put on incorruption. Corruption means subject to decay. I declare that's what we are. I mean our physical bodies. It's, it's a loner. You know, glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God's. My body is, it belongs to God, and he's loaned it to me for a period of time. I really appreciate him doing that. I'm glad to have it, but I'm not going to keep it forever, not in this state. All right, and here's number four. I'm looking forward to going because it's a real place. It's a real place. Now, I don't know if that's hard to grasp. We're in a real place right now. This is a physical being, a building. And, and my Lord, in John chapter 14, on two different, in two different places, refers to heaven as a place. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Heaven's a place. It's, it's a real place. Just dream of that. Number five. I want to go because it's where the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are. I, I don't know how to express this. I, you, you tell me, what do you suppose will be your reaction the first time you lay eyes on Jesus Christ? You dream of that, don't you? I do. And what would you do? What would you do the first time you see Him? You're going to do the same thing that I will do. You'll fall down at his feet. I don't, know, I don't think that I will be able to speak. But I'll tell you this. I want to hear him speak. What would you give tonight to hear the, the voice of Jesus? What would you give tonight to be able to hear the intonation of his voice? Just to hear him speak. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 and following that, that right now Jesus is at the right hand of God. That's where he's at. Revelation chapter 21 says that, that God is in heaven. I, I, 
I, uh, I don't know where heaven is, except to say that it's where my Lord is. Hebrews 12 and 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finish of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Are you ready for this? And sat down at the right hand of God. That's where he is, at the right hand of God. I'm going to tell you something. It doesn't matter to me where it is. As long as they're there. As long as my Lord is there. I... Where, where is home for you? Now, I know that my situation isn't identical to everybody else's. I, I got that, but... Mrs. Collie and I have been married for quite a long time. I schnookered her into marrying me. I don't know why she did it, but it was a great day. It's been a great day ever since. Let me tell you where home is. I could give you my address, but that's, that's sort of irrelevant to the reality. The reality is wherever Cindy is is where my home is. You hear what I'm saying? That's not just talk. That's, I mean it. If I had a choice between living in a fine, fancy, wonderful place without her or a place that was very difficult and challenging with her, I'd pick with her. I cannot, I cannot set my GPS for heaven and say, ah, yeah, there it is. Doesn't matter. I don't care. You, you, just, you just tell me that my Lord's going to be there. That's really all that matters. That's where my security is. It's where, the God and the, where God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit live. My mother is 89, just about to turn 89. She has severe dementia. And she hasn't known my name in a long time. But she knows me. She just knows, she couldn't tell you why she knows me. She just, but she knows that I'm important to her. And, um, and that I'm the one who brings her chocolate. So we have this relationship and sometimes now, and if you've been around dementia, you understand some of this in the later stages of dementia. She, she will often speak of her mother. Now, my grandmother's been gone many, many years, but my mother doesn't realize, doesn't know that. And, and so I'll talk about granny with her. And, and in her mind, in her state, and, and she's very confused. You know, her mind is so very small now. And, and when she talks about my grandmother, about mama, she'll call her mama. That's what she always called her. She wants that security. She's going back to where the security is. And she had it with her mother. And so now her mother lives again inside of my mother's mind. I want to go to heaven because I want to be safe in the arms of Jesus. You could take this old world and keep it. I, that's what I want. I want that security. I want eternity with him. Now here's number six. And this, this, the next three of them is gonna, are going to come from 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, which happens to be my favorite passage about heaven. I love all of them, but this, this one, for my lifetime, has just meant so much to me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a lively, a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance. Do you ever inherit anything? I, lately, I've inherit, inherited, my father passed away a few weeks ago. I'm telling you that I've inherited a lot of stuff. I've, I've got, if you need some stuff, I've got a lot. If you're a Christian walking in the light, you have an inheritance coming to you. Are you ready for that? 
That stuff I've got, I didn't earn that. I didn't buy it. I inherited it because I'm part of this family. It's passed down to me. Some of it's precious to me. Some of it can never be bought with money. I have to give it to my children. You understand that too. But let me tell you something about heaven. If you're a child of God walking in his life, you have an inheritance coming to you. It's the grand reality of Christianity. It's the greatest reality of all. He says to an inheritance, and then he describes it, incorruptible and undefiled that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now, see, this is going to resonate with many of us, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than that of gold that perishes, though it's tried with fire, does that make you tremble? Yeah, but see, it's our light affliction, which is but for a moment. It's not going to be for very long. You say, life's really hard right now. I got it. But it's not going to be very long. Don't turn loose of your faith. Don't, don't turn loose of your faith. But be tried with fire might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, in whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Rece Are you ready for this? Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Walk down with me. It is incorruptible. Now, corruptible means subject to decay. It's subject to decay, but not in heaven. Now, now I know that... that, that these three things, these descriptions of heaven from Peter in 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 3, the description of heaven is about what's not going to be there. And perhaps you've already thought about that, that, that most of what I know about heaven is, is, is what's not going to be there. That's okay. The Lord's my portion, says my soul, and I'm going to hope in Him, and whatever He wants to tell me is good enough. It's incorruptible. It's not subject to decay. You, you like to get a new car. A few times in my life, I bought a new car. Mm. For many years now, I, I buy secondhand cars. It seems like it, it just works out better for me if I buy one that's not very old and I, I can, I don't know, I see financially it seems to, to work better for me. But a few times I've had a new car and I just, I think new cars are a lot of fun because of the smell. You can really clean up an old car, you know, but you can't put that new smell to it, can you? Huh? No, no. It's wonderful. There will come a time though, when that shiny new car is not going to be new anymore, it'll be old, and it just won't be worth fixing anymore. In Alabama, what we like to do is to roll them out into the field and let the bees build their, their nests inside of that, right? It'll rust away eventually. It's corruptible. You, you like to get a new dress, ladies? Sure. I've been married to a woman for a lot of years, and I'm telling you, she likes a new dress now and then. But it won't be so very long until you'll be dusting the furniture, and you'll look at that piece of cloth, and you'll realize it's a part of that dress that you bought all those years ago or whenever it was, and you'll think, you know, I looked really good in that dress. 
incorruptible. It means it's not subject to decay. And then he says it's undefiled. Undefiled. Defiled means that, that in this life, we, we have many things which we really enjoy. And yet, with just about everything, there's a thorn in the rose. There are things that mess it up. There are things that mar its luster. When you get to heaven, Satan won't be there. There will be no temptation there. Would you like to experience that? How long has it been since you were tempted to do something wrong? Well, you were tempted sometime today. We don't get away from that here. Well, I'd like to, though. That temptation is a defilement in this world. Revelation 21, verse 2 says, Heaven's prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 21.4 says God's going to wipe away all the tears from their eyes. No more death, sorrow, crying, or pain. In fact, he says the former things, which are these, have passed away. Well, I just love that because all the things you've described there defile this earth, this life. You will have fought your last battle with disease and grief and loneliness and fear. Sometimes you have hard times in this life, don't you? Family problems. Anybody in this room got family problems? Sometimes people are going to disappoint you. You ever have that problem? How bad that can hurt you? Ever have somebody lie to you? Somebody you trusted? In whom you had confidence? Somebody cheats you? When you go to heaven, you won't have any locks on your doors because heaven is undefiled. That means that there's nothing there to mar its luster. And then the last one is in Peter's list. This is the icing on top of the cake. This is, I mean, you know, it's incorruptible and undefiled, but suppose it's limited in time. Suppose the scope of time is short, but it's not like that. Are you ready for the third one? And it fades not away. Oh, I, I've, I've had some wonderful things in my life that I enjoyed so very much, but of course in this life, you know that, that eventually they're going to fade away. Don said, I've got two children. Caleb and Hannah. I really like those kids. They're just growing on me, you know. We were living in Pulaski, Tennessee. That's where I was preaching. And that's, both of our children were born while I was preaching there. Now, we didn't have the babies in the hospital in Pulaski. The, the larger hospital was in Columbia. And I think it was about 45 minutes away. And, and I loved the fact that if your wife is in the process of having a baby, you can go as fast as you want. And I just burned up that, whoa, got to the hospital. And when Caleb, our firstborn, was born, well, I was there, of course. And, and the nurse does her thing, you know. The doctor gives the baby to the nurse. The nurse does her thing and wraps the baby in swaddling clothes. And then I was the first one to hold the baby. I think it's because I was the one paying the bills. But... But I remember it distinctly. And the same thing happened with Hannah. They gave me the baby first. And, and uh, many of you in this room have experienced just what I'm describing. And right now, I think you're hopefully remembering it. Except for those of you who are very old, back to the time when you couldn't do that. You know, the dads couldn't be in there. But my father said, I told him I was going to be in the, the room, the birthing room. And he said, why would you do that? I said, it's a wonderful thing, an experience, and I want to be with her, and I want to be with the... Well, he says, isn't that somewhat like an appendectomy? 
and I didn't think about it that way. But the point I'm getting to is this. It was wonderful to have those little children in the house. But, but those things have been reduced to a memory. My children are grown now. My children have children of their own. My grandchildren aren't so bad either. But when I, when I want to enjoy a memory, I comb back through my mind and I think about those days with my, my children around me and the happy times. There's a lot of things that I have enjoyed in my life which have now faded away. They've been reduced to a memory. And when you go to heaven, it won't be like that. I can't imagine that after you've been there for a million years, heaven is going to be just as fresh, just as new, just as wonderful as it, were, as it was the first day you stepped through the pearly gates and you said, Lord, it was worth it all. It is incorruptible, undefiled, and it doesn't fade away. Number nine, God wants you and me there. Now, the degree to which that's true is really important for you to, to weigh in your heart. It is certainly true. I, I've been studying this, this past week on the book of Judges for a thing that's coming up beginning this coming weekend, and I'll be speaking several times on Judges, which has just been a wonderful thing to restudy some of those passages, Jephthah, Gideon, Samson, but as you know, the book of Judges is cyclical. It has six different cycles of the people of God forsaking him for the idols. And, and you read in chapter 10, and God says, you, you, you pursued this idol and this one and this one and this one. They weren't satisfied with Baal and Ashtaroth. They wanted to seek out even the gods of other nations, not just Canaan, other nations. And then it got to the bottom, and he said, but you have forsaken me. Ain't that something? Isn't that something? And then he just, he's had enough, and he just lets them have it. And he says, now, when you have trouble, and these, these other nations oppress you, and that's what's going to happen, you're on your own. I've had enough. I will not come to your aid. And he said, I, I think what you should do when you face those trials is call on your gods. The reality was, those gods were figments of their imagination. That's all they were. Those, that's what idols are. They're, they're gods made in the image of men. Men make them. You, you get to where you resent the requirements and the restraints that God puts on you, and you make, you make idols for yourself. And there are religions today which, at their very root, are the same thing as idolatry. It is the case. Ultimately, more people are going to be lost than saved because there's a broad way and a narrow way. More people are going to go the broad way that leads to destruction. That's what Jesus said, and I believe it because he said it. Although I cannot think about it very long because it just it boggles my mind. Having said that, you serve a God who wants you so much to go to heaven to be with him. He really wants you to go. He wants, now let me just, follow me. 2 Peter 3 and verse 9 is familiar to you. The Lord's not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness. He's long-suffering to us. And here's the part. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
He cannot let you continue to say no, 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 no to Him. He will not tolerate that. He cannot tolerate that. And the cross of Jesus Christ is not a compromise with the world. It's an ultimatum. It's going to be by the cross or you'll just be lost. That's just how it is. But setting that aside, because I didn't come really tonight to talk about that. It just has to be said. But the reality is that God wants you so much to come to heaven. I'm going to show you a passage of Scripture that I love on this point. And, and perhaps you're familiar with it. It's Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. And it says that God did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. And then He asked this rhetorical question. How shall He, how will He not with Him also freely give us all things? Now just get the logic behind that. If God spared not His own Son, who sent Jesus to the cross? And the answer is the Almighty God did. He spared not His own Son but he delivered him up. I thought it was the Romans. I, th I thought it was the Jews. Who was it? God. Why? Because it was the only way. It was the... If there had been a different way, if there had been another way, and you have, you have Jesus there in the garden praying, if it be possible, Father, let this cup pass from me. The point is it wasn't possible. It was not possible. The only way to redeem you and me from our sins was going to be Jesus Christ on the cross, and that's what had to happen. And so Romans 8 and 32 says he delivered him up for us all. But the point of the argument is that if he did that, then, then don't you think that he's going to take you home to heaven? Shall he not much rather with him, with Jesus, freely give us all things? Go to, go to old Mount Moriah. You see, here's Abraham in Genesis 22, climbing that old mountain with with Isaac, his son, and Isaac is carrying the wood for the sacrifice. And you know how that goes. And Isaac said, we have wood, we have fire, we don't have a sacrifice. And God will provide. Hebrews 11 says that, that Abraham sacrificed his son. He didn't physically do it, but in his heart he had already done it. Let me tell you something that God knew about Abraham at that point. Abraham wouldn't withhold anything from God. Right? Suppose Abraham and Isaac are coming down the mountain and God says, Abraham, I sure would like, I, I can use that, that donkey that you have there. I could use that donkey. You can't imagine Abraham saying, mm, Lord, I tell you what, I've had this donkey for quite a while, and he's my prized donkey. No, I, I can't let you have that. Abraham's not going to say that. How do you know it? I know it because he just gave his own son, right? Abraham, I really like that coat you're wearing, God says, and I would like for you to let me have that coat. Well, Lord, I mean, I, I'd like, I would like to accommodate that, but this coat fits me so you can't, you can't go there. Your mind won't go there. You can't do that. See, that's the argument of Romans 8.32. He that spared not his own son, shall he not, not much more with him also freely give us all things? You know what the argument is? God really wants you to go to heaven. He want, now, this gives me great comfort. The one before whom we will stand... Is Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 and 10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every man may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or evil. I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's Jesus Christ who died for me. When I was baptized, I was baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I was baptized into Christ, into his death. 
then God really wants you to go to heaven. I want to read as we close from Revelation chapter 7. And, and I want you to think about this. The population of heaven will be very large. That despite the fact that more people ultimately are going to be lost than saved. I know that. That's what my Lord said. Having said that, I do not want you to think that the number of people ultimately who are saved in heaven is a very small number. It will not be. I'm saying that because that's very comforting to me. I remember, I remember a class when the teacher was teaching about Noah and the flood, and 1 Peter 3 says that eight souls were saved by water. And the brother said, well, as wicked as this world is now, when the Lord returns, I doubt there will be that many. Oh, oh, don't say that. Don't say that. What we need is hope. What we need is anticipation. What we need is, is to be able to rely on the Word of God that 1 John 2 and verse 25, this is the promise which He promised us, even eternal life. All right, here we go. I'm in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. Would you just enjoy this with me? After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes? And where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and have their have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple, and He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They will neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat, for the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. How many? A great multitude, which no one could number, from all over the world. Sin is a debt. Sometimes in the Scripture, you'll have it referred to that way. In Matthew 6, you have the model prayer, and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sin against us. Sin is a debt which I could not pay. But through the blood of Jesus, of course, and you know that, my sins are washed away. And I live in His light. And I live forgiven in His light. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12, their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And when the judgment day comes, if you're in Christ, if you are walking in His light, if you are walking according to the teachings of the New Testament, I know the very passage that says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's also the passage that says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us. The point is that 
wants us in heaven. And He made a way by which plain old people, simple people like you and me, can have it. And tonight, praise God that we can look upon this with anticipation. Their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. I, I want to go. When I get to the judgment, I long for the moment to hear him say, not to say, well, look at all these sins on Glenn. Look, look at all these sins. If the matter is ever raised with my Lord, his response would be, I, I, I distinctly remember forgetting those. You, you need to obey the gospel if you're not a Christian. Because there's a great day coming by and by. There are only two destinations. You can't say, you know, I, I may not be a member of the Lord's church. I may not be a Christian. But I, I may not have been baptized for the forgiveness of sins. But I think I'm probably as good as most people. Or maybe a little better. It will not be by this criteria that you'll be judged. You've got to be in Christ. Romans 6 says that when we're baptized in water, we're baptized into his death, into Christ. Jesus himself with his own lips said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. You must obey the gospel, repent of your sins, and confess his sweet name, and you can be baptized. And we'd be happy to help you tonight in water, and we'll baptize you just like the Scripture says, just as it says. You'll be a Christian, and you can start anticipating the land that is fairer than day. I hope tonight you've seen it from afar. If you are a member of the body, but you need tonight to be restored, I'm tired of the darkness. I want to come to the light. I want to be right with God. We'll pray with you and for you. We're going to sing a song of encouragement. If you'd like to respond, come as we stand and sing.